0: Welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. Tonight we'll be talking about murder. Team murder mysteries, that is. I'm Erin McGrath. Elise Sicchetti, Valerie Sicchetti, Sarah Franks-Atlin. So, part of the reason we were talking about this topic is that two of the ladies really had formative experiences with murder mysteries, particularly... Elise particularly
1: teen murder
0: books. Like Half of the time they weren't even a mystery.
1: It was just like, a teen is murdered. Maybe they become a ghost. Maybe they become a monster. Maybe dolls come alive and do more murder. When I think about my formative years, who let me walk out of a library at
0: seven years old with some of these books? (laughs) (laughs) It's a fair question. So I, as the other person who read a lot of these books was thinking about this a lot when I was preparing for this. I read a lot of gothic horror, John Belair's and Johnny Dixon mysteries, a lot of supernaturally tinged things, and it struck me as odd that nine-year-olds were given these to consume. To jump right into it, one of my favorite books that I remember reading in second or
1: third grade was this book called The Dollhouse Mysteries by Betty Wren Wright, and it was for ages nine and up. And it was about this girl who got a dollhouse, and at night, the dolls used to come alive and reenact the grisly murder of her grandparents. And it was up to these eight and nine-year-olds to solve the mystery. I don't know. That just seems like a weird thing for a second, third grader to read it, but I loved it so much. <laughs> yeah. And then stupid, formative, younger
2: sister Valerie decided she was going to steal that from her older sister's bedroom because she was so obsessed with the book. And as soon as you described that book to me, just now I had this overwhelming sense of dread.
0: (laughs) 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 What's funny for me, as somebody who read a lot of these books, is when I was much younger, I was scared of everything. Like, kaiju movies freaked me out. I thought that those monsters were... Like Godzilla movies? Yes. I thought those monsters were legitimately scary, because they would show them on Channel 38, if you Mm -hmm. all remember. The creature double feature. The creature double feature. And I was terrified of them. And then, for some reason, I really liked to read those things. I didn't want to look at them. Which is stupid, if you think about it. Because your mental image is so much worse. And I remember reading Alvin Schwartz's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Which had very scary pictures. But the stories themselves were really not that terrifying. But there was this one about this blob creature that lived in a lake, and for years later, I grew up near a lake, and I would walk home, and if it got a little too dark... You was...
1: ran past that lake, didn't you? <laughs> I started thinking about that blob.
0: I mean, how scary is a big bowl of jello, but... <laughs>
1: we had very different reactions to kaiju movies. I have such a vivid memory of having a complete and utter meltdown, crying... Because I wanted a baby Godzilla. I wanted Godzuki. Why can't I have a pet of it? Like, why do we have to have a dog?
0: (laughs) Where is my tiny, (laughs) angry lizard? Oh, my poor parents. But as I got older, I just kept reading these mysteries. And for me, they range from the classic I really liked. Nancy Drew, when I was a kid, she was a redhead, which appealed to me a lot because I felt like there weren't a lot of books about other redheads. But I also read every Sherlock Holmes mystery there ever was, which I can thank my nana and her Reader's Digest (laughs) subscription for. (laughs) I read R.L. Stein, Fear Street stuff, but it was mostly just because it was in front of me. R.L.
1: Stein books were like potato chips. For our generation. The big ones were the Goosebump books, but I think I was no, a no, little... No, no, we were before that. Yeah, I was going to say, I was a little older. Our sign for us was Fear Street, and then yeah. there was like the Christopher
2: Pike books, and like all of those super disposable... Oh my disposable, God. I read so many Delightfully trashy murder mysteries, or just scary stories.
0: So the question that I thought about when we were thinking about doing this was, why were we so into the teen murder? What was appealing about it? Because you both have serious
1: issues.
0: (laughs) Well, and this is so, and I actually, I did, because I
1: knew we were going to talk about this. So I actually spent some time thinking about this yesterday. So it sounds like you walked home from school. Yeah. And I also walked to school. And I feel like when we were younger, we don't have like the drop off. We walked to school, just a group of kids with no parental supervision. And it was always like. Don't let somebody put a sticker on you because it could be drugs. And no, you can't have your name on your jacket. Remember, Mom would not allow us to have our names embroidered on our clothes because then somebody would know our names and could call us over and we could go get kidnapped. Don't do that. I
2: believe we also both grew up in suburbs that didn't have a lot of streetlights. And there were a lot of times where like, you would go over to your friend's house. And be walking around in the woods.
1: I actually think that the supernatural skew of some of these mysteries was safer and more predictable hmm. than what you were led to believe was going to happen
0: if ah. you walked out your own door. Wow. Also because even at my youngest and most ridiculous... I'm not going to say I didn't believe in ghosts and monsters because there was a point where I totally did. But as you got older it was clear that that wasn't real. What's
1: scary was the person in the car who used to sit there and watch us walk to school every morning until the police got called. What was less scary was the dolls that came to life in the dollhouse. I feel like I worried less about that actually happening.
0: (laughs) And if it did, at least they were trying to help you solve a murder. I mean, they were helpful (laughs) dolls, if you think about it. Yeah, they were trying to send a message. I actually just like to try to figure out the mystery. And as I got older, I began to realize that there are two kinds of mystery stories. There's the kind where they give you every single clue, and you can definitely figure it out. And then there's the red herring kind where at the end, some random gardener... Right. Dollhouse Mysteries. <laughs> who has not <laughs> appeared at all in right. the story hitherto? Turns out it was him the whole you were, time. You were never
1: going to figure it out.
0: It was I not intended. Hate that kind of mystery. It makes me so mad because really, what I want to do is outsmart the book. I wanted to crack the code.
1: Which were the books that had the answer to the mystery in the back?
3: We're we talking about Encyclopedia Brown.
1: There were like these quick little mystery stories. Yeah,
3: Tara's yeah. so right. Do you want to explain the Encyclopedia Brown right. concept for Encyclopedia those who might not Brown was a series of short mysteries, all about this extremely smart kid who would solve neighborhood mysteries, and they would leave off when Encyclopedia Brown had solved the mystery but not revealed the solution, so you could in theory, figure out the solution and then flip to the back of the book and see if you were right. Oh, and the other ones were called Two Minute Mysteries.
0: But I had forgotten about Encyclopedia Brown, but you're absolutely right. So the concept behind them was that they were mostly sort of riddles or science-based, right? And so you could figure out If you actually understood what the problem posed in the story was. And I loved those because you could. You could figure it out. And it's actually gotten to the point where I drive my husband insane. Because it turns out that most mysteries follow particular patterns, right? There's certain tropes that they all follow. And once you get good, you can solve the plot to almost any television show known to man. And the real secret is that often the title is the clue. And so he'll sit there and I'll say, it's this, and he'll get kind of annoyed. And he'll say, well, how did you figure it out? And I said, well,
3: the title was X. (laughs) The show
1: hasn't even started yet.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Another easy trick to figure out a lot of television mysteries is if there's a high-profile guest star, they probably killed somebody. Except for that one time when Kevin Smith was on Law & Order, And I swear just said to his agent, no, 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 I just want to be the cat who, they come up to him and he gives them a piece of information that leads to the next piece of information and that's it. He's a human scavenger hunt clue. Yeah.
1: I will admit, I didn't read as many of those straight mysteries. Mm. Apparently
3: there's not enough murder in them for me. (laughs) See, I think I was kind of the opposite because I preferred the straight mysteries, but I didn't, as a kid, like being scared. I still don't, as an adult, always like being scared. I can creep myself out fairly easily and hang on to it longer than I should. So I was never really into teens and their murders as much. But I I read Encyclopedia Brown when I was young. There was a series by Peggy Parrish, who also wrote Amelia Bedelia, which is completely not mysteries, but started with Clues in the Woods which was very puzzle-based that I really, really liked.
0: I think as I got older, though, the point was to be creeped out because I think that also people who like to be scared do it because it helps you conquer the fear. It's kind of exposure therapy, Mm -hmm. right? The more I can face something that's creepy and then nothing bad happens, the more you can accept it and confront your fears more easily.
1: Well, and I feel like also reading some of those things or or sneaking and watching scary movies that you know you're not supposed to be watching yet it's your little rebellion too as a kid. And sometimes it backfires, like that time you watched poltergeist in the third grade, and that didn't go that well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, when we were children and teens, there were a lot of these sorts of stories. Again, R.L. Stein was huge, and it was well before Goosebumps, because I yeah. worked in a bookstore, and so I remember being the older person selling Goosebumps to the younger children, but Fear Street definitely predates that. Mm-hmm. Lois Duncan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. and Killing, Mr. Killing Griffin, Mr. Griffin. Both of which became movies.
1: When you think about the concept, Killing Mr. Griffin is about a bunch of teens killing their teacher. It's a pretty heavy concept.
0: But it's also a kind of fantasy yeah, in a way, right? right. That revenge over somebody that you've not appreciated. So we were saturated with them, which is the other reason I think I read them is they were just around. You know, mm-hmm. I spent a summer babysitting my cousin and she had them and I just yeah. worked my way through They're like potato
2: chips. You would just... Go from one to the next. and that I couldn't even tell you specifics from a lot of those books. I probably read 20 or so in the summer. And if you went, hey, Valerie, this Christopher Pike book, what's it about? I'd be like, mm, what's the title say again? Probably
1: what that title is. I don't know. <laughs> it's, they're actually kind of like the same setup as like a Harlequin romance. They have a, a comforting formula
0: yes of
1: murder and sometimes the only way you can tell them apart is by the cover and right. sometimes not even that helps <laughs> and those and those
2: delightful teen stereotypes each of the characters is a specific type of high
0: school student or teen there's a jock he's handsome but probably a little dumb yep yep <laughs> there's the spoiled rich girl she's a bitch There's the nice, smart girl. The one thing I actually remember about those books, and this is probably the stupidest thing. I don't remember most of the plots. I couldn't tell you the names of any of the characters, but they all had really fancy cars. Yeah. They're they're all well off. A lot of convertibles, right? A
3: lot of convertibles. Yes. <laughs> some of them are blue, some of them are red, but they're all fast. Which and seems all fancy. like a terrible idea in a teen murder book because you are far more open to murder if you have a convertible. Right for decapitation. Mm hmm. So they were all over
0: the place. You couldn't swing a cat without hitting a teen murder mystery. Well, we went through
2: books so quickly, Elise and I, that we would either go to what was it called?
0: No, I think it's the book the, <laughs> Oh, oh no, I
2: know. no, it's the New England Book Fair. Yeah. Which is this gigantic book warehouse where the books are actually organized by publisher as opposed to topic. You might
0: as well sense. just organize them by color at well, that yeah, point. seriously. And then like, I just remember there were these huge books that you would have version. to
2: look it up and try to figure out. But it was amazing because we would go and we would spend hours there. And then once we read those and our parents realized that buying us new books was going to be a waste of their time, we started going to a place called the Paperback Exchange. And we would literally go there with a gigantic paper bag of books and leave with a gigantic paper bag of books. And these were not great novels that we were (laughs) getting there.
3: (laughs) So my question is, what happened to them all? To start with, I think things go through general ebbs and flows. A particular genre will be exceedingly popular for 5, 10, 15 years and then just kind of drop off the face of the planet. That just seems to be the natural way of things, especially with young adult literature, I think.
2: We were also discussing this idea that after a while, some of these books really start to feel dated. Because nowadays you have a cell phone and you could use a cell phone. There was a Christopher Pike book called Chain Letter. Where you would get yeah. a letter in the mail. You got a letter
1: in the mail. I'm sure
2: someone's listening to this now being like, a chain letter? Like paper? <laughs> Letters in the mail? What? what are you talking about, Right. Now, the funny thing is is that I do believe that there are some of those books that are perennial favorites that they've updated a little bit mm-hmm. and then gave them new covers. They hired someone to like go in and add them cell phones or
3: like trying to sit just called like irritating
1: yeah. email forward. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> As I recall summer, all of us were reading an article about Lois Duncan in preparation for this and it was saying that Most of her books hold up pretty well and they have been updated for modern times and the main thing she has to do is get rid of all the cell phones and figure out creative ways for the cell phone to not work or be destroyed. I also don't think though the cell phone is totally a cure-all.
2: I mean, God, there's still modern mysteries where people have cell phones. (laughs) No, but it it
3: is a problem for a lot of types of literature like the spy genre and things where you need somebody to be really cut off Mm. for your story it's much, much harder to convincingly do that.
0: Yeah, and I think in terms of the teen murders, you just get to a point where if I could just call someone when the creepy guy was following me... Right. ...and be picked up, nothing bad would have happened. But I think the other piece of it is... That it's all gotten a little too real. Well, to my
1: point of it used to be your escape, I would not be reading a book about kids getting kidnapped on the way to school. That's not what you would have wanted to read. And now I agree. I think
0: teens are more worried about going to school, being in school. A book about murdering your teacher for example, might not go over well Mm -hmm. in these modern times. I think the ones about angry ghosts could technically still work. And I think the fashion points there, they're just not popular right now. Teens are still being murdered in books. It's just now in these dystopian futures.
1: Right. It's by big corporations. I mean, everything is... The government. Right. Yeah. The government, super tech-based
3: Which also seems a little too close to home for me, but there's at least that degree of separation where this is the far future, even if it's similar to certain things going on at the time. There's enough of a separation, like with the more supernatural elements, that it doesn't feel so potentially real. I think there's that. I also think that stories... Do
0: reflect the things going right. on in their time, and so while you might not have read a book in the eighties about kids being kidnapped, again, part of the point was these books were towing the line right. of what could happen to you, but moving it so far out of reality that it wasn't scary, and it gave you control because justice was always. I'm saying right, it
1: was a, or it was a different kind of scary that you had control of.
0: You had yeah. the control, and so now I think some of these dystopian books are because. There are concerns about war and giant corporations taking over the world and the government possibly not having your best interests at heart. And so the books reflect that. It's trying to take that and make it manageable again. They have more rather than that supernatural
1: skew they have more of a science fiction skew because to the point of the cell phone piece technology is so much more a part of our lives and so particularly when it doesn't work or when it backfires that is scary
0: right it's terrifying to be alone with your thoughts so there's a book by mt anderson and it's not Uh, mystery technically but it's exactly about that it's called feed if you've ever heard of it yes I think this is familiar so basically the concept is that everybody has all of the news all of the advertising and all of their friends jacked directly into their brains the opening line of the book is we went to the moon to have fun and the moon totally sucked (laughs) And the concept is that everyone is so overstimulated and always looking for the next thrill.
1: And technology, though, is also access, right? Yes. So when you lose your technology, you lose access to your bank account. You lose access to your friends. You lose access to your social sphere. And it's being alone with your thoughts, but also cut off from your resources.
0: It's really true. So... As the wonderful adults we are today, how do you think your childhood literary preferences shaped who you are now? Have you met me? Like, (laughs) explain. (laughs) My tastes have not skewed
1: that far from that. I still like things with a supernatural skew. I like horror. I like true crime. I do like the post-apocalyptic genre, though. So actually, the shift towards post-apocalyptic stuff is great, I think, that's still in my wheelhouse. And so it's not like, oh man, books back then used to be better. I still find lots of stuff now that I think is super interesting in in my wheelhouse. I still have a huge affection for
2: ghost stories.
1: Not necessarily
2: slasher type ghost stories. I love a book that has all the atmosphere and all the character development. So as I got older, I sort of stopped caring so much about the scary stories that have the teenagers in it, but was really more into scary stories that took place in the past. Or if whatever the supernatural element was coming from, it was some sort of real social commentary or a result of some real historical event that happened.
0: These vampires are an example of, well, disease. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Maybe more like these ghosts are a result of this being a Civil War battlefield. Got it. So like educational ghosts? Yeah, really. I went through a phase where I was reading a lot of mysteries too that happened in the Victorian period. It's the same reason why sometimes I like historical romance is that you get your trash, but you also get to learn some sort of fun facts about different types you of You
1: just like a thing that's costumed. Like if you yeah. dress it up.
2: <laughs> okay, that too. I'm not going to deny it. I'm
1: like, <laughs> put some petticoats in there. Oh, what? Petticoats? That's really
2: interesting to me. But yeah, most of the stuff that I like now is heavy on the character development. I know not... The most popular thing for some people, but I like when characters talk about their feelings and how they experience things. In terms of how I feel about the post-apocalyptic stuff that is going on now, I definitely am not as into it. Depending on the story that it is, I found myself with a little bit of fatigue. Mm. I made the mistake of trying to read The Maze Runner, and I was like, "And I'm done," because I finished the trilogy and I hated myself, and I was like, "I'm going to stop reading."
3: I think I do still have some similar preferences. I do still like mysteries. When I was a bit younger, I went through a big Agatha Christie phase. I went through a big Mary Higgins Clark phase. I went through a brief Sue Grafton phase, though I never finished as much of the alphabet as she got to. Rest in peace. I think I've always geared a little towards the mystery end of it than the scary end of it. I'm just not big into the scary stuff. I can appreciate when it's well done, but I'm not somebody who seeks out scary movies a lot or scary books or scary television.
0: So I think for me, the enduring trait from the mysteries is that I do have this need to solve the problem. I just want to figure it out, and I'm mad when I'm not able to. In terms of books that I like to read, I actually almost never read mysteries anymore because they're boring, because... They have formulas that right. I can read. The think formula. Yeah. But one thing that is endured is I will still read almost anything put in front of me. I have a fondness for certain kinds of fantasy. Everybody says I like crying books, but I think it's actually just that I like a book that surprises me with how it deals with emotion. So, like Patrick Ness's A Monster Calls, you knew what was going to happen at the end. And I won't say for those who haven't read or seen it. And yet it still made me cry, and I thought that was an amazing thing to be able to do, to take something where it's very clear where the ending is going, but how you get there is the part that's surprising.
2: I'd be curious to know, so what are we all reading right now?
1: I don't think I am reading anything right now, because I just finished The Power. Actually, when I get home, i got to pick up the book club book and start that. What is the book club book? Weird World. I don't know when this is going to go out, so that may or may not be a plug opportunity. (laughs) I'm actually reading the female Thor traits.
3: Oh yeah, I've heard this really good. They are really good. Yeah. They're pretty that's great. on the
1: list of things I want to try to get to.
3: Mm-hmm. Last thing I read was actually an issue of Adventure Time that my husband tossed at me and said, hey, you'll like this. Which I did. Beyond that, because we have all recently been indoctrinated into Dungeons and Dragons, I'm trying to... Get some more backstory on that so I can flesh out my character. So I'm looking over some of the rule books. So
0: as the jerk who reads like five books at the same time, <laughs> I'm currently reading The Job of the Wasp by Colin Winnette, which is a gothic horror story. <gasps> yes! I, that's the kind that I like! <laughs> I borrow it when I'm done. Um, and I'm reading it because it was recommended by Kelly Link. Um, I'm also reading Connie Willis's Blackout. Connie Willis writes these sci-fi books that are about Oxford College history students who are also time travelers. So To Say Nothing of the Dog is a really great book. And Blackout is they're all going back to World War II. Mm. And then finally, I'm also reading the new Cora comic book. Mm.
2: And with that, that is our time, ladies. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next month. Hi, everyone. Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the Ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including Ladies' Con. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social
0: media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.